Today we are beginning the great season of Lent. Today is our first Sunday of Lent. Lent is one of the most spectacular seasons of the church year because it is a season of preparation whereby performing certain spiritual acts of denial, of commitment to the body of Christ, of commitment to the Word of God, to taking advantage of the various programs that the church offers so that we can grow in our understanding of who God is and what He has said to us and the promises that He has made to us and the great price that He gave us in laying down His life as a sacrifice to dramatically impress us with how much God loves us and what great value God puts on us that he would send his only son to sacrifice his life to restore us to the love and eternal friendship of God. What an awesome God we have and what blessed and highly favored people we are. Every Lent, the church chooses to open the season by reading of the dramatic and troubling temptation that Jesus underwent in the wilderness of Judea. After stepping down into the waters of the Jordan and purifying his human body and preparing himself to become the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, and to begin his public life of preaching for us the way to salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so every year we begin this season on the first Sunday by reading the account of Jesus' temptation by Matthew, then by Mark, and this year by Luke. And in that temptation, the message that Jesus brings to us and the importance that he places on the season of Lent. You've been observing Lent for many years. Some of you are lifetime Christians, and in one denomination or another, I need a techno char. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 
Now. <laughs> we have been practicing Lent all of our life, and many of us has gotten to the point where we've taken it for granted. You'll have to excuse me, I'm taking some cold medicine, and it sure dries out my throat. And we pretty much take it for granted. And I want to help you recapture the importance of Lent. That this Lent might be for you a very special observance. Lent, you know, is the 40-day preparation for celebrating the greatest feast of the Christmas, of the, of the Christian year. Uh, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. His undeniable uh, proof of his Godhead by rising from the dead and exerting power over death. And we want to celebrate that so that this Easter becomes a great time of resurrection for us. To help put our Lent into perspective and what's taking place in the temptation that the devil throws before Jesus, I want to take you to another part of God's kingdom, to another part of the world that you are not familiar with, most of you, very few, if any, to the mysterious Far East of India, Burma, Pakistan, China, those ancient oriental countries that were outside of the purview of Israel in the life of Jesus Christ, but still existed at that time. Have you ever heard of the word kum melai? Now, for you vocalists, I didn't say kumbayai. <laughs> where we all get together and sing about how great we are and how great it is to be one of God's people. That's a beautiful song with a beautiful sentiment. This is something different. Kum Malai. It's roughly translated into English as a shortcut to nirvana. Now, any of you who have had ancient history and studied the ancient religions, you know that for the Far Eastern religions, nirvana is the goal of every faithful adherent to their God. Nirvana means to cease to live in this difficult world and to be absolutely absorbed into the body of God, to be a God and to live an eternal life as God. Now, in order to achieve this great goal, the ancients believe in reincarnation, that they will spend thousands of years in this life, from one life and death to another life and death to another life and death, all the, way to, all the time trying to achieve perfection. 
And if they do not achieve it at one time but have striven very hard to do so, next time they may come back on a higher level of creation and have a better opportunity of living that life and achieving the goal. Or if they have dissipated their life, they may come back next time as a lower life form, as a cow or a mule or a dog or head lice depending on how bad they have been. Now, kumala is an opportunity that these people are given to escape that endless circle of reincarnation. It happens every 12 years in India and is it attended by over one million adherents to those ancient religions. It is the world's greatest festival, yet most of us have never heard of it. The last one was held in India in 2013. The next one will not happen until 2025. So if you want to go over and see it, got plenty of time to make your reservations. But I wouldn't advise anyone to go and see it because it is an unnerving experience. As millions of pilgrims come into India and have to go to four different cities in India, and in every one there are different people who share this belief, who come together, and there are preachers there. There are lamas There are high priests. There are gurus. There are all sorts of ancient teachers who come there to teach their way of gaining perfection. And people spend those six months going from place to place, striving for the shortcut to nirvana. And they cap off their their, uh, uh, pilgrimage by going into the river Ganges and by submerging themselves into the water. And if they have done a very good job as a pilgrim, they believe they can wash away thousands of lives that they might otherwise be condemned to live before they reach nirvana. Some of them feel they have achieved it feel very good about the progress they have made and are anxious to make their way to nirvana and the authorities have to deal with thousands of ceremonial suicides that take place at these festivals as people are anxious to be absorbed into their divinity. A shortcut to nirvana by not living the life that we're all condemned to live but by listening to the teachings of other people who can show us how to perfect our lives and go right to nirvana now the reason I bring this up is because this outlandish practice puts into perspective for us What is going on with this temptation that the devil is throwing at Jesus? 
Because what the devil is offering Jesus is kumalai, a shortcut that bypasses all of the suffering of his public life and all of his debates with the religious establishment and all of his betrayals and his pain and suffering on Good Friday and death, the devil is offering him a shortcut. Let's look at those temptations. Luke tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And what we have encapsulated here is the matter of, that, of those temptations. Satan comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He was hungry. He was in the wilderness. He had probably experienced many mirages while he was in the desert where all those different shapes in the desert that are nothing but stone seemed to take on another shape. A loaf of bread, a beautiful devil food cake over here, a turkey, a cluster of grapes, all of these false foods that were presenting themselves to Jesus. The devil comes to him and he tempts him to reveal his power. Now, look at what the devil is saying. How does he begin this temptation? He says, if you are the son of God, I'm not saying that you are, but if you are the son of God who has the power of God, show me. And of course, one of these things that it reveals to us here is that we all too often give the devil too much credit. He, the devil does not have the power that you think he has. He has no power over you except the power that you give him. He has no control over you except the control that you surrender to him. The only power he has is the power of allurement. He lies to you, but he makes those lies look so delicious. And he tries to lure you into compromising with the gospel. And this is the way he approaches Jesus. It is my understanding as a fallen angel that God plans to redeem these miserable human beings by sending his own son to sacrifice himself for their redemption. And so Satan begins his temptation by asking the question, if you are the son of God, show me, give me a preview, prove it to me. It is written, Jesus says, thou shalt not Live, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth 
from the word of God. Food is not our only sustenance. Our real sustenance is our relationship with God. Temptation one, put down. So the devil says, I'll try another method. The gospel tells us he took him to a high place somewhere in the heavens where from that vantage point he could see all of the kingdoms of the world and he, could, and he said, look, all this authority I will give to you if you will worship me, if you will acknowledge me. Now read between the lines. What's the devil claiming? He's claiming something he does not have. He says, all of these kingdoms belong to me. They do not belong to him. They are filled with the people that God has created. Every person in those distant kingdoms are children of God, whom God wants to receive the gospel of salvation and to be brought into the kingdom of God. They are not Satan's people, but Satan claims them because he said, long before you were born in Bethlehem, I have been working in the lives of these people and I have revealed myself to them as certain deities and they worship me, not as the devil. They've given me other names that sound much better than that. They may call me Baal or they may call me Moloch or they may call me any one of the number of names that the Egyptians have or that the Assyrians have or that the Babylonians have. They all have different names for their God. But what they don't know is what they're worshiping is me. Who they're serving is me. Who's pulling all of their strings is me. I control them. And they are nothing. They are valueless. They certainly are not worth your life. Why do you die for them? I will gladly step back and give you all of these nations if you will acknowledge me and my authority. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. My gospel of salvation will bring the word of the true God to these people, and we will take these kingdoms from you, one by one, through the people I will send there to bring the gospel, and they will all come into God's kingdom, and you will be left alone with no one to tempt Temptation two, gone. Devil doesn't give up easy. Next, he takes Jesus to Jerusalem. They go to the top of the temple and he looks down and he says, look at this place. It is teeming with Jews who have come from all over the world, who have come to celebrate the great feast days. 
They have come to honor God. Those are the people that you're going to try to get to. And the method that you have is a very slow method of walking all over Israel and, and, and uh, uh, the Galilee and meeting these people group by group by group. I'm prepared to give them all to you right now. I'm the world's greatest promoter. Let me show you how to bring the gospel to people. Throw yourself down from this temple, and as they see you falling down, they will all look up and scream, and then they will see, as Psalm 91 assures us, the angel of God coming to bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone and be killed by the fall. And when this spectacular event happens, everybody will fall to their knees and welcome you, worship you as their God. The high priest will acknowledge you. All of the Pharisees will welcome you. You will have no resistance to your gospel. Don't do it the way your father wants you to do it. Do it my way. That's the temptation that the devil is giving to them. It has been said, thou shalt worship only the Lord your God. Jesus rejects the temptation. St. Matthew, and then Luke says, there, the devil is going away. And Luke said, and the devil left him for a more opportune time. That's such an important phrase. Jesus' temptations were not over. He did not have only three temptations. His entire public life was front with temptations of every kind that tried to get him to take the devil's way and accept the shortcut and not be obedient to the Father. Jesus constantly struggled against temptation. That's why in the scripture we see him so many times going off by himself quietly to find a place to pray for strength, to spend time with God's redeeming word, to study the words of sacred scripture, to equip himself with the armor of God to resist the temptations that Satan will continue to bring up to him right until the time in the garden when Satan tries to get him to turn away from the agony he's about to experience. And Jesus falls to his knees and said, Lord, if it were possible for this cup to pass from me, I would welcome it, but not in contradiction to your words. If this is your will, God, I accept it. The final temptations were there in the garden and on the cross. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross and we will believe in you. They taunted him to the very end. The devil had many opportune times to come. 
And then St. Matthew closes his gospel with this beautiful scene where he says, and angels came and ministered to him. And here we see the angels coming with food and drink to minister to the Lord. Now, what do we bring back from this experience with Satan? First of all, that temptation is not a sin. You're going to be tempted all of your life. That is not a sin. We are all tested from time to time and sometimes tested by the people who are closest to us. But temptation is not a sin. It is merely a test, an invitation to take the shortcut. For Jesus, the path to redemption was through the crucifixion and death, not through any of the shortcuts offered by Satan. And for us, salvation is through obedience to God's word, not through any shortcut Satan might offer to us. Though that's what he's always doing. Every temptation he offers you is a shortcut that leads to perdition. And for us right now on the first Sunday of Lent, as we begin the season of Lent and all of the holy observances that we have before us, the path to Easter is through the observance of Lent. To miss the observance of Lent is to miss the full joy of Easter. There's some people who are accustomed to taking shortcuts through Lent. They may show up for the first Sunday of Lent to begin the season and to hear all of the encouragement. Then we won't see them again until Palm Sunday because, you know, that's quite an interesting service. It's a little different from others. And besides, I can get a piece of palm, a souvenir to take home. (laughs) So there'll be people who'll be here for Palm Sunday because it's the thing to do. And then they might come back for Holy Thursday as we celebrate the Eucharist, but very few will be here for Good Friday when we face the reality of the cross. But they'll all be teaming in on Easter Sunday morning because they have taken the shortcut and they want to be here to be a part of the Christian nirvana of celebrating Easter. Please pledge with me this day that you will not shortcut any of Lent. Let God bless you this year.